Welcome, everybody, to episode four of Love ADHD. I'm really excited today to be here with my co-host, Tony Overbay. Hi, Tony. Hi, Julie. And I think we have, uh, don't we have a third person with us today? We do, actually. (laughs) We haven't named her quite yet, but I got hair extensions yesterday by your daughter, actually. Okay, Tony's daughter, if you don't follow her on Instagram, she's unreal. She is so it's not just nice. I don't say nice things I don't mean. I am very honest. No, she... So anyways, I have a habit of doing fun things with my hair when I need change. And so I've like had a faux hawk and done all oh. sorts of things. And I have grown out... But then I love growing it out long again. Well, I hate the growing out part, but it's fun to have long hair again. So I've always done this thing where I like cut it really short and then I have to grow it out for a couple of years, you know, oh. and realize that we live in a world of instant gratification where you can actually just pay money and have long hair. And Mackie, your daughter, anyway, she gave me hair extensions yesterday. And so they're really fun. So I'm just It looks kinda, amazing. Yeah. I'm just petting it. It's just in a side pony today. But yeah, I did a little fun reel with Mackie, which is really fun. And really she was. like it's incredible. She matched the thickness, the color. She did great. So yeah, it's super fun. I went on a run this morning and oh. I like my ponytail like hitting the back of my whatever that is, the back of my back. Yeah. <laughs> like thing. it's a thing when you have long hair and it's like, boom, 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 as you're running and it's kind yeah. of swishing side to side. And I was like, oh, I kind of missed this, you know? And I actually ran a faster mile than I have in a long time, which That must be, be a scientific. No, it's a, it's science. Yeah. See, when, when you have ADHD, you can make things up as well because you are very impulsive. <laughs> and then you assume that I could probably find that data. So then you're like, you know what? I've read, Julie, that uh, hair extensions lead to faster mile times. But see, I really haven't. That's the the key components yeah. of ADHD. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, so the third member here is we're gonna name my hair because okay. it's a lot. It's a lot longer. <laughs> it's nice and thick. I've just been petting it like a carpet. <laughs> you are. Um, I don't know what that name should be, but um, well, and I thought of it because my sister who died from cancer, she had a wig, and I can't remember the name, and I'm trying to remember it, but oh. we would always call it that. It was okay. the funniest name. Okay. By the way, Anyways, well, okay. Yeah. I was going to say that's a, that's a, a kind of fun intro. And even when you just said my sister who died of cancer and you're saying it hilarious, we did an episode on my virtual couch about using humor through difficult times. And so I will put the show, that link in the show notes, because, um, that was a very powerful moving episode because that's part of your, who you are is humor. And your sister was amazing and funny as well. Yeah. She really inspired that in me. Yeah. It was a great example of that for me. And it was really helpful moving forward with my own challenges at that time. So I'm always grateful for that. It's good to laugh, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Note note to each other. We're doing this five-part thing on things you didn't know you didn't know about ADHD. But I really do want to do an episode down the road on humor because there is – and it will actually come into play today with the rejection sensitivity. When you come to an acceptance, a lot of times humor is one of the best ways to – uh, to diffuse some of the negative self-talk because with ADHD, some of the things we do, we just do. So that's a thing and there's no reason to beat ourselves up. So in comes humor. Right. Yeah. Good times. Love it. Yeah. So yes, which thank you for mentioning that. So we can stay on track here today. We are going to do number two of the things you didn't know, you didn't know about ADHD. And we have chosen to tackle rejection sensitivity. Yeah. Which I'm very excited about, slightly nervous about, because I feel like this is something I've been wanting to talk to you about for a long time. And so I'm 
I'm like going to be processing it live. Yeah, I like that. I looked a ton into it. I keep meaning to because I think I probably will have some parallels mm-hmm. here. So I'm I'm very excited. Okay. And I, I like that you said I've been meaning to because part of me wants to just keep going over these same, a little bit of the, some of the tropes of ADHD because we forget them. But um, two time frames in the world of ADHD now or later. So you were going to get to it later. And then later <laughs> becomes now if there's an immediate deadline. Uh, hey, here we are. It's now, right? I, like I really do. I really like deadlines. Do you? Okay. Oh. I were, I li- they make me do things. I don't know if I would say I like them, but yeah, I hear you. <laughs> so, okay. So with the rejection sensitivity, it is a tiny bit of story time. So I, I had somebody bring this to my attention, um, a client of mine that had pretty, I want to say bad, but look at that judgment statement, had amazing ADHD, it rivaled my own. And so we would joke that when we would have sessions that we could get usually about a session and a half in, in the time of one. So in the therapy world, that's, they were getting bonus. It was like a session and a half only had to pay for one. But then they brought up to me, do you know about rejection-sensitive dysphoria? This was years ago, and I was not familiar with it. So it's funny, still a little bit more of my emotionally immature day. So I think I probably was like, oh, wait, yeah, yeah what, what rejection-sensitive? Yeah, I'm familiar with that. Thinking to myself, I, I got to go look that up. And so then when I did look it up, I found an article, and it was uh, it's on this website called Attitude, which is a really good one, A-D-D-I-T-U-T, however you spell the rest of that. And it's an it's a ADHD online magazine or website and they have one on rejection sensitive dysphoria and it goes over some of the concepts we'll talk about anticipatory reject and kind of go really quickly up into fight or flight respond and our our amygdala can get hijacked and when we feel slighted or we can make we can create stories that we feel like people don't care or we feel if they don't respond the way we think they should that they don't like us and a lot of those things but what what just was very frustrating about that article is it had this line that said it's therapy resistant because of the intensity of the rejection and how quickly it happens. And I just thought that uh, that doesn't sound very hopeful. And so then I did what any good person would do. I ignored it and figured it would go away. And so then if I noticed my own rejection, then I really did start to notice that, okay, I am aware of this. And you can you know, when you're aware, you you may not be able to do things about it in the moment because you're already in that amygdala hijack state. But then once it's done, I think so many of us don't want to deal with discomfort. We don't want to feel like we did something bad. So we just are like, you know what? I'm sure that, that there were some things ha- that happened there that I'm not very happy with, but I'm just going to move on. And so part of this is like learning to sit with the discomfort. And then I always say like review the game film of what happened. And usually you can see where you started to feel triggered and where you started to feel unheard or unseen and kind of what led to that, that rejection and, and then led to maybe the outburst. And so at that point, then you don't beat yourself up and everything becomes this opportunity to grow and it becomes this process. So then I just thought, okay, I don't even agree with this article that I was reading. And then when the book ADHD 2.0 came out, which I know we've talked about uh, probably on every episode, which I will, cause I, that one, I think I joked, we got the new Testament, the old Testament, we got ADHD 2.0, like we got our canonized scripture. And so in that one, it just kind of mentions rejection sensitivity as a thing, but it doesn't say, so you're kind of host, you know, it's saying this is a thing. And so I don't remember, I don't know if I finished the book, you know, on account of ADHD, but it probably said some very important things after it acknowledged it, which I think is a thing. Um, But let's talk about it. So I want your comments. So I've got a few notes here that I uh, think I have accidentally closed the window on. That's shocking. No, I did not. It's okay. One of my 900 tabs. Uh, Julia, are you, do you have a million tabs up? No. 
I think we're going to learn that you and I are different in this way. I, I make impulsive decisions because I don't want to think about it again. I keep my house fairly clean because clutter don't do well with clutter. I, I like things to be done right now. And so I do not keep a lot of tabs open okay. because that is more to think about. And that is hard for me. Okay. Which I think that will, that makes sense. And all I can do is I want to tell lots of jokes about that, but that's uh, that's not very productive. Okay. So <clears throat> have you ever though been, have you ever been like at a party or you uh, hear a joke or something that's going on in the periphery, periphery and you felt like they were laughing at you or are you, are you ever the person that if somebody doesn't get back to you with a text after you send them something, do you ever make more of that than maybe there is? And you don't have to even say yes. That might not be a thing. Oh, for sure. I've had that happen. Yeah. yeah okay. for sure. and, and this is one of those funny things where this is what the data will talk about with rejection sensitivity. And part of me still says, okay, no, I think everybody feels this way. But then I also thought that everybody, you know, goes from this to this, to this, to this, to this, to this, to this. So I know that there are going to be some things we're going to talk about today that are going to fall in between. There's a difference between rejection sensitivity and then rejection sensitive dysphoria, RSD. And so I think that's one of the, the key differences. So like the rejection sensitivity can come from a place of emotional immaturity. Or if you watched your own parents model behavior of, you know, being very explosive or impulsive or not taking ownership of things. So that can be rejection sensitivity. So I can make I can create a story, but then rejection sensitive dysphoria is then when it kind of goes to another level and then we start to turn it inward and we start to not just go from a, man, I feel bad because I think that they're talking about me, but to shame of where, you know, they must think I'm a horrible person. And so, so I don't know if you have experiences where you turn to shame or if that stays on the guilt level. No, I think I have, I was quick to want to respond. Everybody feels that. Okay. Right. The text one, especially the first you talked about, like maybe they're laughing at me or making fun of me. That one doesn't ring as true. Not that it hasn't happened Mm -hmm. in my life, but the texting one, I for sure have told stories before told my, my, I remember a therapist saying, you're a great storyteller, (laughs) you know, like the stories we tell ourselves about what's going on. And what's hard is sometimes I'm right. Yeah. You do got to read the room a little. Yeah. And sometimes when someone doesn't text you back, it is because maybe you're not a priority or something. You know what I mean? Like there is some truth where you got to read human behavior, but am I more susceptible to that? Maybe I try not to be, I mean, I try to really combat those thoughts just in general, but I don't know. Yeah. Well, I I like what you're saying though, because uh, this is where, again, everybody is prone to rejection. If not, you're maybe we could. Someday you can hop over to my Waking Up to Narcissism podcast and I'll point you to the episode on psychopath, sociopath, narcissist, or emotionally immature. Like that's a real fun game to play. But yeah. but I think that the part where it hits a little bit deeper is when that becomes, that it can really become pervasive and it can be like an intrusive thought. And then it's something that then one carries with them, even maybe outside of that time frame. And I, part of me feels like if I was not a therapist and didn't talk to people on a regular basis... That, that I wouldn't really even understand the difference between rejection sensitivity and then the part that goes into to dysphoria. Uh, because, you know, sometimes people will continue to bring things up or they'll start to then make meaning of, it's almost like that confirmation bias where they start to look at, you know, no, this person didn't get back to me. And this person, I walked by them and they didn't even ask me how I was doing. And, 
you know, I was talking with somebody recently who um, has a job where they go into like a break room and it was really fascinating because they were saying, you know, I don't even like going in there because there's everybody sitting there at a table and they don't, they don't even say hi. They don't ask me how I'm doing. And I want to immediately say, well, and, and what, what's that like for you? Do you say, Hey guys, or do you do that sort of thing? But if I do, you know, you see the person just, okay, well, they, that they don't want to have to do that because that could be scary because the people might tell them no. So then it's almost like this double bind they set themselves up in. And so I think that's where it starts bordering, you know, moving over into the dysphoria of it versus just the, you know, it bothers me, but you know, what am I going to do? I'm not going to go beg them to say hi. And you know, that kind of thing versus like they internalize it and they make it, then it just feels like really, really intense, you know, that kind of intensity. Yeah. And I am big on, I don't know how much this relates, but I am really big on reaching out to other people when you like filling your own needs. Okay. I remember in junior high, I remember having a moment when I was walking down the hall and I just decided that I was going to be like unusually kind to people. That that's the kind of person I wanted to be. And so from not that I was perfect, but like I, I just started saying hi to people and not waiting for that. And like, going and grabbing their arm when they don't seem like, Hey, how the heck are you? Yeah. Start and I, I love that felt right to me. That felt like my skin. And I started assuming that maybe they felt like me needing connection, needing, and in general, that served me really well. There mm-hmm. have been times when that has not been what other people want. And I have to remember that, that not everyone is as open or, likes that attention yeah as much as some as much as maybe i do yeah and that's but the, in, yeah good place to be but those rejections are hard it's hard i can have a billion positive and then i have one that it's not well received and i can absolutely go to a place of i'm just too much that's so, where i go okay and no that makes sense well and julie okay this is what's fascinating about this because again part of me wants to make a bunch of jokes part of me wants to impulsively right now pull up another window and pull up a tab um, dr daniel amen has a, a amazing book about oh i think he might it's might even be called overcoming adhd and it's so big and thick he's really amazing cuz he has like a two page thing at the beginning that says since you have ADHD, you're, there's a good chance you might not even read this book. Like you might have bought it just to feel like I, I got this book on ADHD. And he goes over these eight different subtypes of ADHD. And so there's a part of me that, okay, let's make note and go over one of those at a later date too. Because I, I love that we're talking about it in this context because, you know, there could be somebody listening right now and saying, I don't even know if Julie has ADHD, you know, because she doesn't have, right? Yeah, she doesn't have a bunch of tabs and she doesn't feel this intense rejection. But then when when you go to that place where it's like, okay, but then it can hit deep. I mean, and that's the part where I think it's hard to explain. And the, I would think I was going down this path and I already forgot a minute ago. But as a therapist and you watch people and the joke is that therapists become therapists to work on themselves. And I was like, not me. But then when you watch somebody in your office process something and not make it a very big deal, it's it's almost like you sit there and you self-reflect and go, oh, man, I don't, I don't know if I would have handled it that well you know, and and then you start putting those pieces together. Also, I need to acknowledge that I live in a sphere where I often speak about my own mental health journey and Uh, some of the things I've overcome. Yeah. And I think even right now in this moment, there is a part of me, as much as I've been complimented on being authentic, on being real, I definitely, based on life experiences I had, even as a child, I think I definitely am someone that I feel the need to like 
be in charge of taking care of my own needs and like make sure that other people are okay and all these things yeah. that so so just the whole like I'm going to be nice and I'm going to do that there's nothing wrong with it but is there like a pretty deep <laughs> pretty deep gaping thing <laughs> if we're going to poke it yeah of just of like I am unlovable mm. okay. there is and I have to be honest with that. And so as much as the whole, and I don't know exactly what that means, but that's, I've done EMDR with it. Have you? And okay. the that we came up, and this is what's interesting is you, you have these, these feelings that you wouldn't, that you don't actually consciously think are true. Right. But I remember working with this therapist and the phrase that we came to that kind of shows up for me is... I, what is it? Like, I am not worth the time or I am not, or something, which don't get sad about it. I know. (laughs) I'm already protecting you. See, (laughs) I know. Right. No, I think it's great. Julie there. See, I I not want to be a victim, but there is 100% some, my, I come off really independent and really, really strong. And there is definitely some protectiveness of protecting myself with that. For sure. Yeah. Absolutely. And I don't know what is what, but the rejection sensitivity. Yeah, it's there. I just don't want to show it to you. I like, I'm okay. I'm on my own. I'm doing all right. It's good. But oh yeah, for sure. Okay. So you just, uh, this is where I love talking about adult ADHD because I don't know if when your diagnosis, but I think maybe we talked about this, but they really wanted to make a point that I didn't have a diagnosis as a kid. Um, but then as a kid, uh, I mean, number one, I don't think we would have gone to the doctor to look at that because that was a million years ago. But also, the I, I would get my validation through sports and comedy and student government. So so then, you know, you could keep the balls juggling enough to feel like you were okay. And then it's mm-hmm. like, if I never had to stop and pause, then I never had to sit and think about that. I am unlovable. I am not enough. Yeah. Is that kind of where you're going with that a little bit too? If you can, if you can go and aggressively get your own validation. And I think for me, that was, there's a lot of things in my life I couldn't control, uh-huh. but I could control. And like, I didn't feel like I was super talented at like anything, but I was like, I can be really nice. And, yeah. I did. and, and it's a good thing to be nice. Right. But did I get a lot of my worth from, I was known as being a nice person that reached out to other people. Yeah. For sure. So, yeah. Well, it's funny when you said it's good to be nice, right? And that's where I do you do. Are you familiar with the Enneagrams? Oh, Uh, someone tried to do it recently and I did not, but I thought about it. Okay. Well, and it's, I, I usually kind of, it's so funny. I'm almost like anti-personality test as a therapist. And then I've realized my immaturity, probably my rejection sensitivity about it is when I learned that, okay, I'm a licensed marriage family therapist. If you get your PhD, you know, you're a clinical psychologist and they can, then they get to get the big money for administering psychological tests. So then I was like, oh, well, you know what? I don't even think they're cool, like a psychological <laughs> test. But right, right. But I digress. But like the Enneagram, there's one that uh, I think it's like a number two, and I don't. Even, but it's the it's the caretaker. And then I think I was talking to one of my daughters is the caretaker, and she's like also known as I think she said the pushover, you know. And it's the part where that compulsive kindness or pathological kindness though can at times be taken advantage of. And now we get over into that world of when I have my women's Facebook group for women who are in relationships with emotionally immature or narcissistic people, they're typically that pathological kind that are really good at being nice. And then unfortunately yeah. they found themselves in a relationship with somebody that does not 
appreciate that kindness. So I think when you, yeah, you, when you are in the right situation or position, then it's an amazing tool, uh, that kindness. But then in other times, if that person is being pathologically kind so that they will, people will like them because of that fear of not being enough, you know, then I think that can, that can be a challenge. Yeah. That's, that's very reflective of, yeah, me. (laughs) For sure. You waited out for a while and that's all I'm going to say. Okay. <laughs> so with, with the rejection sensitivity, I think it's maybe of note to just mention a couple of things. It's actually not a real medical diagnosis. So it really is something that's talked about. And so I think that I've had a couple of clients go to a doctor and even ask questions about it and then have had, I can think of two in particular, where the doctor has said that isn't a thing. And it's really ironic. One of the people told me that they said, and I felt such a rejection from trying to talk to my doctor about rejection sensitivity that then I even decided I would tell them, this is literally what I'm having right now. And then the doctor said, okay, well, there's nothing I can do about it. And so I just thought, oh, that just got three layers of deep with the rejection sensitivity. And, and my point there is just, it's one of those things I think that it, I just want us to bring awareness to it. And as people are hearing it, yeah, it might not be in a medical textbook, but I really think the power in it is just being aware noticing. And then, uh, like I say, don't beat yourself up because it will feel pretty intense, but you know, you don't know what you don't know. And once you start to learn about something, um, there's still a big period where it's like, I'm not really doing much about it. And then we still beat ourselves up. So that's a tricky one right now. I think with this rejection sensitivity, and I, am I nailing, like, am I getting it right? I think of it as you've had experiences where, you were seen as too much. And so you're kind of ready to protect yourself from that. Is that? Yeah. See, this is funny. That's like probably the best point that we need to make. So thank you for bringing that up because when there's the concept of, is it even a thing and there isn't a medical diagnosis about it, that then there's even, so how does it show up or what causes it? There's a a bunch of people that like to make the point that it's still being studied and that you know, even trying to get the, the test data is difficult to do. So some believe that it's hard to even put the criteria together to study it. So then it's this made up thing. But then the other belief that I've always heard is that then from a young age that we've heard, we often receive, it's kind of like what you're saying, that the feedback that we're different or we're not doing things right, or maybe we are too much and we, st- and we feel it. I mean, we're kids. And when you're a kid, I mean, everything is coming from a you, know, you don't really have a, a good take that other people could be experiencing things that my parents might be at the end of their rope or they might be struggling financially or they may not be in the best place. So then it's going to come back on me and then it's like not right now. And instead of somebody else with a, maybe a healthier sense of self, then being able to express themselves or be frustrated, then you know the we, we internalize those feelings. And then that's often the beginning of the what's wrong with me story or the internalized shame. Or we can just feel like it could even be a nice parent who's saying, hey, not right now, champ. Maybe we can have a catch later. But then to the kid, they're like, oh, that's okay. I shouldn't have asked. You know, there's even a tiny belief there that that's even my way that I want my parent to then validate me there and come rescue me and say, uh, you know, well, no, okay, come on. So the even this like another challenge with that is sometimes you'll get your needs met by responding negatively to the rejection. And so then your own brain saying, okay, you feel like you just got rejected and then you just shut down and then the person finally came and rescued you. So sometimes it's like, okay, so sometimes people might even skip that step and just show up kind of down. And then you're all of a sudden you're the Debbie Downer carrier. And, and so there's just so many different layers to this. So 
when you look at the edit from a concept of being differentiated or everything's an opportunity to grow, then it's like, okay, I'm feeling this way. I'm having this reaction you know, by nature. Technically that's a me issue and why, well, if I'm looking for validation from somebody that's unavailable, then I really need to look at that. Like that's an opportunity for me to either find somebody that is more available or find something that will help me get validation on my own, which is uh, the hope. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that idea. I've studied a lot of the idea of just what is ideal in a relationship, right? We can look at codependency and what that is and interdependency and the differences there and how interdependency is very, I know how to meet my own needs and how to ask for help from someone to help me meet it's um, being without a partner or without people, but it's that I'm aware enough to, oh, I'm having a need unmet. What can I do to do this? Or can I ask my partner, hey, could you help me feel, you know, yeah. could you help me meet a need? But I'm not blaming or angry at other people for not meeting my needs. That's good. And what I like about that so much, that's funny. That's been uh, sometimes in my mind, I have a, a hilarious track going all day of what's the theme of therapy today. And so we're recording this in the afternoon. I've had ha- uh, quite a few sessions already today. And I feel like today's theme has been the, if I am aware that I'm not trying to manipulate somebody, that I'm not just seeking validation and I'm not looking for control, then my joke is that then I'm supposed to now be able to ask someone, hey, I would love it if, or would you, would it be possible if, but then even when I have people that are doing their own work and they know, okay, I get it and I'm, I'm showing up and I'm not looking for that validation or control or manipulation. But then when it comes time to then ask for their needs, that this rejection still can just kind of kick right in there and go, okay, but they might, it might not go well, you know? And so I, I like what you're saying, cause that can be really difficult too, but yeah, we're supposed to be able to do what you were saying. That'd be nice. Yeah. 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 And when, and that's my goal, I'm like, that's good. That's a good thing, you know, but it is interesting that one of my biggest fears and like something I would probably feel humiliation about is if I looked codependent to someone, if I looked clingy, if I looked codependent, that is like my most, like, I feel repulsed by that wow. idea. Yeah. The worst, the worst thing that someone could say to me, even like dating, like in high school, I remember it was like, if I were to look desperate, like there is nothing worse if yeah. I were to look desperate for someone. Do you know what I mean? Oh, I, I'm loving it because I feel like that's the, uh, the old, the pendulum swings all the way to the other side. So it's like, you know what? I might even then look unavailable. I, and then I've had clients say, hey, why can I not get yeah, anybody things with that like oh i'm gonna make you look or or dumb things that aren't like healthy or good but it can swing to those extremes that then you do inappropriate behaviors yeah because you're trying so hard to not look that way right and i don't think i've seen too much of that but it's just interesting to see these patterns of of yeah there's a lot of what makes me strong and what has made me successful is it's also a protective measure that like I can take care of me. Like I'm not going to let me down. I'm not too much for me. So therefore I present a a tough chick, you know, that that serves me well, that has served me well. And then I don't get hurt. Yeah. I want to jokingly say, okay, lay down on your couch. Julie, has it served you well, my friend? No, I'm kidding. Because there's a kind of therapy called internal family systems. It's just brilliant where we're all these different parts. And so then, you know, when we've had them, something is, is kind of been hurt. And a lot of times it's the I am not enough uh, emotion. It, we talk about it gets exiled and then it's got a protector emotion. And that protector emotion could be anger or it can be perfectionism. Because if I can be perfect, then no one will ever tell me I'm not enough. But then I'm so busy yeah. trying to be perfect 
that then, uh, you know, I'm, I'm driving myself crazy or that sort of thing. Oh, we got so many different topics we can talk about, you know? know. And I think it's important to mention here. We can't, we can overthink these things so much and dissect them so much that it can paralyze us. I am. And so it's easy for us. We talk about these things. I can go to a place of like, man, I am screwed up or man. And I think it's so important to awareness is just helpful because you're just going to get better and better. That's how I feel. And sometimes I think I need a reason for every single thing I do in my life. Sometimes I have to kind of leave the heavy, make meaning out of everything aside and just live and recognize that I do things. Some of it probably is because of pain from the past and that's okay. It's absolutely okay. Yeah. Human condition. Like that's also part of what's made me me and a lot of things I'm proud of. That doesn't mean there's not more healing always to be had, but just to put it in context and not make it everything. I remember talking to a friend once. I was like, I wish I could go back and just start over new as like a baby and, and just like not be impacted by anything anyone said for me and just be the real me. I made some comment about that. Yeah. I think, and I remember her saying to me, she's like, but that's not real life. Like no one cannot be affected by their environment. Oh, Absolutely. And it's also, she's like, you look at the people that have done the greatest things in the world. Most of them had pretty dysfunctional homes from our standards of what's like psychologically healthy. Yes. And there is a part of that that pushed them to create and to go big. And so would they take that back? And I thought that was really interesting. And I'm like, there's a lot of things I've done in my life in part because of needs unmet. Yes. And of choosing to overcome and maybe there could be some gratitude there. Maybe it's not all a bad thing. Yeah, no, I, I could offend a lot of people right now by just t- by first of all, saying thank you so much with that. And there have been times where I've had people in my office and they've said, you know, I, I wish I could, I would like to start a podcast or I've always wanted to write a book. And they're like, but you know, and then, and I do the whole, well, oh, let's go to your value-based goal and, and take that discomfort with you and blah, blah, blah. And then I will kind of lightheartedly say, you know, then as they say, uh, you know, was it, was it 250 a session or was it 2,500? I'm not sure. And then as they drive off in their Ferrari, you know, I think, okay, there's not enough discomfort there to then be desperate for validation or to be desperate to be, to be somebody that, that really is known as somebody who really understands or knows their craft or because Mm -hmm. there isn't that, yeah, there isn't that wound to say, I've never been enough. I would like for people to look at me now, please. And so isn't that crazy or isn't that amazing? Right. Yeah. (laughs) That's so cool. It's so amazing. It's awesome. Okay. Yeah. Julie, I think we went past the 25 minute mark, but this is like, a, I, I am so, here's what I'm excited about. I, I, 400, 500 podcasts later, I've never actually had three or four in a row with somebody. And so I'm sitting here just geeking out about, oh, as we start to get to know each other better. And I already thought we knew each other pretty well. It's going to be fun to just like, even when you're saying, you know, sometimes I, I think that things just happen or whatever. And I'm like, oh, I can't wait to pull out my old, you know. Why did, when people are saying, man, why did I do that? And it's like, well, really the reason you did it is because you did, because you had never been you in that situation before. That was the first time and that happened, you know, and and that's liberating, but that only took me about 10 years as being a therapist and a good five years of meditation to get to that point. You know, that'll be fun, but we have so many fun things we can talk about. That's going to be great. Yeah. Awesome. Will you end us with a closing prayer? (laughs) 
thing very cultish for like, yes. what we're about. And you end us with your ADHD, okay? Yes. Will you leave it? What's the message? Mm. What's the message here that you would give to someone with that has found out their diagnosis with ADHD as an adult? Uh, it would be Dear Julie's Hair. <laughs> Okay. Let's just come up with a name right now. I can't. I, uh, I can't. Okay. Nothing <laughs> to trying to be impulsive. And yeah. Like, oh, no, right? Well. Okay. Uh, yeah. Dear, dear, dear. Well, it's dear Julie, Tony, and Julie's hair. Dear the three of you. Thank you for doing your best to try and understand rejection sensitivity because it is, it is something that has been um, treated as one of the most horrific parts of ADHD, uh, so much so that then it keeps you from avoiding situations because of that fear of the rejection, that anticipatory rejection. And because of that, doggone it, you miss out on a lot of cool things. But, but it's been blown out of proportion probably by people that don't really have ADHD. And maybe I'm joking right now. Maybe I'm not. Because the reality is, and even you, Tony, I'm really getting into this Pete part now, Julie. Even you, Tony, um, were so afraid to talk about rejection sensitivity that you didn't want to talk about it. I think maybe you were so afraid of the rejection. And then meanwhile, when someone else said, hey, it might not be as bad as you think it is, then you said, cool. Um, and then since that time, you've been fine. So it turns out you were kind of fine the entire time. Uh, so after hearing this episode and learning these things, you're going to be okay. So don't beat yourself up and rejection. Okay. That's a thing. And if you notice that you are feeling that or anticipating, anticipating it, um, then that's adorable and give yourself a hug and go pet Julie's hair. Uh, and then just go ahead and bring all the, that discomfort along with you. And you'll find out as um, one of my favorite quotes says that, that you may feel like you're jumping out into the great abyss, but finding out that out there is a feather bed. Love your pal, ADHD. Thank you. I learned some things about you in that note. Did you now? Your fun brain. Mm-hmm. Oh, I enjoy my brain sometimes. I do. All right. Well, okay. let's close. Next time we'll do number three of five things you don't know that you didn't know about ADHD. Okay. Do you want to tease it which one it is or do we just say surprise next time? No, we're... So I don't know if you know this about ADHD, Tony, but ADHD, we are pleasure seekers. Yes. So surprises are fun. Yes, they are. They're fun. So let's have it be a surprise. Okay. what I think. Surprise. Surprise. Okay. Uh, Julie, have a great week. You too. All right. Bye.